0: Section 3 of Out of the Iron Womb by Paul Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. In another minute, he would be knotted and screaming from the bends. And a couple of minutes later, he would be dead. Bow clamped his teeth together, as if he would grip consciousness in his jaws. His hands felt cold and heavy, the hands of a stranger, as he fumbled for the supply pouch it seemed to recede from him down a hollow infinite corridor where echoes talked in a language he did not know damn he gasped damn 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 he got the pouch open somehow the stars wheeled around him there were stars buzzing in his head like cold white fireflies buzzing and buzzing in the enormous ringing emptiness of his skull pain jagged through him he felt his eardrums popping as pressure dropped the plastic patch stuck to his metal gauntlet he peeled it off trying not to howl with the fury ripping in his nerves his body was slow inert a thing to fight there was no more feeling in his back was he dead already redness flamed before his eyes red like valeria's hair blowing across the stars It was sheer reflex, which brought his arm around to slap the patch over the hole in his suit. The adhesive gripped, drying fast in the sucking vacuum. The patch bellied out from internal air pressure, straining to break loose and kill him. Bo's mind wavered back toward life. He opened the valves wide on his tanks, and his thermostatic capacitors pumped heat back into him. For a long time he lay there, only lungs and heart had motion. His throat felt withered and flayed, but the rasp of air through it was like being born again. Born, spewed out of an iron womb into a hollowness of stars and cold, to lie on naked rock while the enemy hunted him. Beau shuddered and wanted to scream again. Slowly he groped back toward awareness, His frost-bitten back tingled as it warmed up again. Soon it would be a fire. He could feel a hot trickling of blood, but it was along his right side. The bullet must have spent most of its force punching through the armor. caroming off the inside, scratched his ribs and fallen dead. Next time, he probably wouldn't be so lucky. A magnetic-driven 30 caliber slug would go through a helmet splashing brains as it passed. He turned his head, feeling a great weariness, and looked at the gauges. This had cost him a lot of air. There was only about three hours worth left. Lungard could kill him simply by waiting. It would be easy to die. He lay on his back, staring up at the stars and the spilling cloudy glory of the Milky Way. A warmth was creeping back into numbed hands and feet. Soon he would be warm all over, and sleepy. His eyelids felt heavy. Strange that they should be so heavy on an asteroid. He wanted terribly to sleep. There wasn't much room in the Sirius. The only privacy was gained by drawing curtains across your bunk. Men without psych training could get to hate each other on a voyage. Beau wondered, if he would reach Luna, hating Einar Lungard. The man was competent, a willing worker, tempering his cheerfulness with tact, always immaculate, in the neat blue and white of the fireball line, which made Beaufield doubly sloppy in his own old grey coverall. He was a fine conversationalist, with an enormous stock of reminiscence and ideas, witty above a certain passion of belief it seemed as if he and valeria were always talking animated voices like a sound of life over the mechanical ship murmurs while beau sat dumbly in a corner wishing he could think of something to say the trouble was in spite of all his efforts he was doing a cometary dive into another bad case of one-sided love when she spoke in that husky voice of hers grey gleam of eyes under hair that floated flaming in null g the beauty he saw in her was like pain and she was always around it couldn't be helped once they had gone into freefall he could only polish so much metal and tinker with so many appliances after that they were crowded together in a long waiting and why were you all alone in the belt asked lungard in spite of all the romantic stories about the wild, free life of the count it's the dullest place in the system. Not to me, she smiled. I was working. There were experiments to be done, factors to be measured, away from solar radiation. There are always ions around, inside the orbit of Mars, to jumble up a delicate apparatus. Beau sat quiet, trying to keep his eyes off her. She looked good in shorts and half-cape. Too good. It's something to do with power beaming, isn't it? Lungard's handsome face creased in a frown. Afraid I don't quite understand, they've been beaming power on the planets for a long time now. So they have, she nodded. What we're after is an interplanetary power beam, and we've got it. She gestured to the baggage rack and a thick trunk full of papers she had put there. That's it, the basic circuits, factors, and constants. Any competent engineer could draw up a design from them. Hmm, precision work, eh? Obviously, it was hard enough to do on, say, Earth. You need a really tight beam and just the right frequencies. A feedback signal to direct each beam at the desired outlet. Relay stations, oh yes, it was a 10-year research project before they could even think about building an interplanetary beam has all those problems plus a number of its own you have to get the dispersion down to a figure so low it hardly seems possible you can't use feedback because of the time lag so the beams have to be aimed exactly right and the planets are always moving at miles per second an error of one degree would throw your beam almost two million miles off and crossing one au and besides, being so precise, the beam has to carry a megawatt at least to be worth the trouble. The problem looked insoluble, till someone in the order of planetary engineers came up with an idea for a trick control circuit hooked into a special computer. My lab's been working together with the order on it, and I was making certain final determinations for them. It's finished now. Twelve years of work, and we're done. She laughed. Except for building the stations and getting the bugs out. Longard cocked an oddly sardonic brow. And what do you hope for from it, he asked. What have the psychotechs decided to do with this thing? Isn't it obvious, she cried. Power! Nuclear fuel is getting scarcer every day, and civilization is finished if we can't find another energy source. The sun is pouring out more than we'll ever need, but sheer distance dilutes it below a useful level by the time it gets to Venus. We'll build stations on the hot side of Mercury. Orbital stations can relay. We can get the beam as far out as Mars without too much dispersion. It'll bring down the rising price of atomic energy, which is making all other prices rise and stretch our supply of fissionables for centuries more. No more fuel worries. No more. Martians freezing to death because a converter fails. No more clan feuds on Venus, starting over uranium beds. The excited flush on her cheeks was lovely to look at. Lungard shook his head. There was a sadness in his smile. You're a true child of the new Enlightenment he said. Reason will solve everything. Science will find a cure for all our ills. Give man a cheap energy source and leave him forever happy. It won't work, you know. Something like anger crossed her eyes. What are you? she asked. A humanist? Yes, said Lungard quietly. Both started. He'd known about the anti-psychotech movement which was growing on earth. Seen a few of its adherents, but I never thought a spaceman would be a humanist, he stammered. Lungard shrugged wryly. Don't be afraid, I don't need babies. I don't even get hysterics in an argument. All I've done is use the scientific method, observing the world without preconceptions, and learn by it that the scientific method doesn't have all the answers. Instead, said Valeria scornfully, We should all go back to church and pray for what we want rather than working for it. Not at all, said Lungard mildly. The new enlightenment is, or was, because it's dying, a very natural state of mind. Here earth had come out of the world wars, racked and ruined, starving and chaotic, and all because of unbridled ideology. So the physical scientists produced goods and machines and conquered the planets. The biologists found new food sources and new cures for disease. The psychotechs built up their knowledge to a point where the socioeconomic unity could really be planned, and the plan worked. Man was unified. The war had sunk into an occasional small police action. People were eating and had comfort and security, all through applied working science. Naturally, they came to believe reason would solve their remaining problems. But this faith in reason was itself an emotional reaction from the preceding age of unreason. Well, we've had a century of enlightenment now, and it has created its own troubles which it cannot solve. No age can handle the difficulty it raises for itself that's left to the next era. There are practical problems arising. No matter how desperately the psychotechs work, they aren't succeeding with them. What problems? asked Bo, feeling a little bewildered. Man, don't you ever see a newscast? challenged Lungard. The second industrial revolution. Millions of people thrown out of work by the new automata. They aren't going hungry, but they are displaced and bitter the economic center of earth is shifting to asia the political power with it and hundreds of millions of asians are skeptical aboard this antiseptic new order the west has been bringing them cultural resistance and not all the psychotechnic propaganda in the system can shake it off the men of mars venus the belt the jovian moons are developing their own civilizations inevitably in alien environments, their own ways of living and thinking, which just don't fit into the neat scheme of a earth-dominated solar union. The psychotechs themselves are being driven to oligarchic and constitutional acts. They have no choice, but it's making them enemies. And then there's the normal human energy and drive. Men can only be safe and sane and secure for so long, then he reacts. This New Enlightenment is really a decadent age, a period where an exhausted civilization has been resting under a holy status quo. It can't last. Man always wants something new. You humanists talk a lot about man's right to variability, said Valeria. If you really carry off that revolution, your writings advocate you'll just trade one power group for another, and more fanatic less lawful than the present one.' "'Not necessarily,' said Longard. "'After all, the Union will probably break up. Can't last forever. All we want to do is hasten the day because we feel that it's outlived its usefulness.' Beau shook his head. "'I can't see it,' he said heavily. "'I just can't see it. All those people, the Lunarites, the violent clansmen on Venus, The stiff, correct Martians, the asteroid Rockhounds, even those mysterious Jovians, they all came from Earth. It was Earth's help that made their planets habitable. We're all men, all one race. A fiction, said Lungard. The human race is a fiction. There are only small groups with their own conflicting interests. And if those conflicts are allowed to break into war, said valeria do you know what a lithium bomb can do there was a reckless gleam in lungard's eyes if a period of interplanetary wars is necessary let's get it over with he answered enough men will survive to build something better this age has gotten stale it's petrifying there have been plenty of shake-ups in history the fall of rome the reformation the napoleonic wars the world wars It's been man's way of progressing. I don't know about all those, said Beau slowly. I just know I wouldn't want to live through such a time. You're soft, said Lungard. Down underneath, you're soft. He laughed disarmingly. Pardon me. I didn't mean anything personal. I'll never convince you, and you'll never convince me, so let's keep it friendly. I hope you'll have some free time on Luna Valeria. I know a little grill where they serve the best Syntho steaks in the system. All right, she smiled. It's a date. Bo mumbled some excuse and went aft. He was still calling her doctor McKittrick. End of section three Recording by Paul Harvey.